Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Simon and I were joined by Jamie McKenzie, CMO at Sodexo Engage for this episode. As a valued Durham Lane customer, I like to think we know Sodexo well, and I wasn't surprised therefore to be impressed by Jamie's knowledge and his deep marketing experience. If you're interested in three key areas to consider when launching a product globally, B2B and B2C buying behaviors, and four drivers that support sales and marketing alignment, then this episode's for you. Finally, Jamie shared a phrase or, or maybe a mantra that I loved, and I think it goes way beyond marketing. In fact, it's relevant for anyone making their way in business. Storytelling with impact. I hope you enjoy this episode, and thanks as always for listening. Hello and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast giving you the inside track on all things B2B sales and marketing. I'm your host, Simon Hazeldean. I'm an author, sales expert and keynote speaker on all things sales and negotiation. I'm joined by my co-host, the CCO and co-founder of Durham Lane, Richard Lane. Richard, great to be back with you for another Insiders episode. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about Durham Lane before you introduce our guest. Hi, Simon. Thank you. And yes, great to be back as always. Well, just very briefly, Durham Lane, we're an integrated sales and marketing agency. What do I mean by that? Well, essentially, we help our customers create always-on channels of meaningful, well-qualified sales opportunities that business development teams love to close. So we're uh, friends to the sales and marketing teams of, of our customers. We're thrilled to be joined today by Jamie McKenzie. Jamie is the CMO for Sodexo Engage. So Jamie, welcome. Really looking forward to the conversation today. I'm going to hand back to Simon, who will get us started. Lovely, Richard. Thank you very much. And yeah, Jamie, good to have you with us. And what we normally do at the start of each episode is just ask you just to give us a little bit of background, sort of so you can introduce yourself to the listeners and they get to know, you know, who you are. So over to you, Jamie. Give us a little bit of background. Oh, well, look, firstly, thanks very much, uh, Simon and Richard, for inviting me onto the podcast. It's a pleasure to speak to you and, and to, the, to the listeners as well. Um, crikey, a little, a little bit about me. Well, I'm, um, I live by the seaside. I, li- I live by the beach with my family, actually. I relocated here with my, my wife and two boys uh, during the pandemic. Reflection on life. And, um, and certainly the sea air has made a big, big difference to, to, to me as an individual over the last, um, couple of years. But that's a very recent thing. I mean, my, my path to kind of what I do now, it's a, a little story that involves, uh, 28 bags of sprouts that I sold on Christmas Eve at my local greengrocers. And you might be thinking, well, it must be about the product, the marketing, the commercial engagement. But it wasn't. It wasn't actually because um, a few years later, I was being interviewed for a placement role at Toshiba um, as part of my university placement, which at the time I thought was the Japanese car firm. So it just shows that I didn't do my research. <laughs> but uh, they interviewed me and um, and subsequently I got the role in, in their marketing department. And I asked them, you know, what was the reason for you guys choosing me? And my two bosses at the time turned around and said, Jamie, it was your story about the sprouts that that convinced us that you would be a great fit for our marketing team. 
And really, since then, I sort of joined the Toshiba marketing department. I did a number of product roles there. Then I moved across to Samsung and uh, I did a number of um, commercial and go-to-market positions. So kind of broadening out from, let's say, more traditional product management, product marketing. And then uh, nine years ago, I moved across to Selexo Engage and I joined them as marketing director. And really, since then, my role has evolved significantly uh, in, into kind of the CMO position today. And um, I was asked uh, in, in an interview the other day for, for a role in my team and I was doing and and they said, you know, Jimmy, what do you do? What's your role as, as the CMO? I couldn't really answer the question, but it just shows the diversity of the role now. And, and I touch a number of different areas, Simon, in terms of strategy through to product development, to product go to market, branding communications, you know, performance marketing in a B2B space, performance marketing in a B2C space. And, and I'm also privileged actually to have a really talented internal uh, design team, design studio as well. So kind of a real full service marketing. So my path has kind of gone through time and, uh, and I've kind of worked through that. It's been, uh, heaven forbid, it's been 20 years. Uh, I've always had, you know, uh, big leadership positions and, and I love leading teams. I love people. I love diversity and role and, and, uh, it's not a path that you say, I want to do this. It's just kind of what you follow, what you enjoy, what you love. And then eventually, I think um, if it balances out well, then, then then that's where you are. So it is about the sprouts. Uh, and I do encourage anyone wanting to, to learn about life to, to work in a greengrocer's. It is a great experience, isn't it, of consumer consumer engagement, I suppose, Jamie. So, you know, if if, if nothing else. So uh, definitely sprouts appear to be the, the secret of your success. So uh, anyway, thanks for joining us on The Insiders. Um, no, no, I'm sure this... Uh, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into your background. So from a land of a thousand roundabouts that is Milton Keynes to the to the seaside. Uh, but along the way, you've been involved in several global product launches, probably not Sprouts, I'm guessing, although do correct me if I'm wrong. But what, what would you say are the sort of the key, the key success lessons you've learned from that? Because that, that's a challenging project. It's a challenging thing to do. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting when we talk about global product launches because across the three organizations I've worked through, um, it's been a real combination of, you know, hardware and software products, um, different channels to market. And of course, different markets. You know, when we talk about global, we think about uh, so many different environments, cultures and countries you can launch to and everyone brings a different element to it. I think when I reflect back on global product launches, for me, there are probably three areas or three key things that I would take away and, and share. And, then, you know, they're not revolutionary. They're not something super intellectual. They are real three basics, actually. The first is that know your marketplace. I think at times, if you're given a challenge of a global product launch, if you're going to challenge any product launch, you know, when you're in your domestic market, you automatically, through your authenticity of being in that market, you understand a lot more. When you look at global markets, you have to spend so much more time understanding that marketplace, especially if you're operating independently. If you haven't got anyone with you, seconded to you, you don't have primary or secondary research that is enriching your understanding of that marketplace, you can fail very, very quickly. And I've been involved in a couple of scenarios whereby I've seen uh, failure 
of a product entry into the market. And the big failure there was we did not understand that market well enough. We made a number of assumptions and we should have done a lot more work in that too to see a better end result. Where we were very successful in knowing our market was a particular product launch at Samsung. And we took the decision to second individuals from the individual markets into a core project team. Automatically and straight away, there was an immediate understanding of the marketplace. Assumptions were there, cultural elements were there, and we could already start to have a good base and foundation of that market. And then we would use other primary and secondary research to enrich our knowledge of that marketplace. Because when you overlay culture, competitors, reactions to pricing, buyers' behaviours, there are so many different elements and one percenters in there that can make a difference between a successful introduction and, and not. So not revolutionary, but number one is know your market because in the global market, you need to know a lot, lot more than in a domestic. I think that the second one for me, which is, a, it should be an obvious one, is know your product. And, and what I mean by that, and I'll, and I'll really simplify it down, hardware versus software. You know, knowing your product is super important. I think when um, when organisations, could be big corporates, look to enter a new emerging marketplace, um, if we look at VCs looking to invest in startups to penetrate or start in a marketplace, you need to bring resource in. You need to bring people in with knowledge. Sometimes you can bring in people with global product launching, but in the wrong specific sector or product sector that you're looking for. You know, bringing a hardware product to a market is very different to bringing a, a software product to a market. And knowing those experiences of the people you bring in to lead that is, is absolutely, for me, it's absolutely crucial. Why is that? The wow moment of introduction, your core principles of, of, of uh, understanding need, building proposition, delivering a product against that is quite similar, actually. The, the approach is the process you follow is quite similar. Your wow moment of introduction can be quite similar. But then when you start to look at the deployment into market, the physicality completely changes the game in terms of time to market, in terms of how you reach, in terms of how you deploy your product in the global market. So really understanding the product is important. And I've, I've introduced new phones to a new global market at, at Samsung. I've also introduced new brand and software to a global market in my current organization. You know, the build up to the launch can be similar. The deployment is completely different. And so it's, it's a key, second key principle for me. So first is know your marketplace. Second is, is know your product. And the third one for me is about know your channels. And, and what I mean by that is that when you launch a, a product into a global market, you know, and you look at the place you're going to, there's two ways in which you engage with that traditionally. You either have a direct existing operation in place in that country that you can leverage to bring your product to market. And there are many corporates that have that. Or you have no operation in that marketplace. And that's where you need to start building an indirect channel if you if you move down that route. If you don't want to you know, establish a direct channel. And that's where you have to use third parties to bring your products and services to market. And I take a particular example. Again, um, this was at uh, Toshiba, actually, towards the end of my, my time at Toshiba. And we, we, we opened into a new market and we didn't have uh, any direct operations. And that was okay, but we wanted to start indirect. So what we needed was a reseller network. We needed a distribution network. We needed agents to facilitate the introduction. That's a completely different launching model than if you have a, a direct operation in place as well. So, so understanding those two differences and the nuances will change your preparations. It will change how you introduce price, the commercial model that you build behind it, the enablement tools that you need to facilitate, the training and education that you do, 
it really does change uh, so many different factors of, of the launch process. So reflecting back on those three, I think, you know, know your marketplace, you know, do the research well, understand the, the market you're going to. Don't be scared to ask for support. Don't be scared to second people. I think secondments are really underrated sometimes and it's some brilliant benefit that you can get from that project approach. The second is know your product, hardware versus software. Really understand the nuances of the product, how you position it, how you deploy it into market. And then the third is, you know, really understand your channel or maybe more distribution of your product to market. Because whether you have a direct operation or an indirect operation will change the way in which you plan, you prepare and you, you know you execute the, the launching activity. Thank you. That's that's been really, really interesting insight. I think it's it's just made me just think that you know, if sometimes somebody was to say, you know, hey, what's the secret or what's the what's the magic? What's the secret magic? And you sort of go, actually, it's these sort of fundamentals of the discipline and the hard work. And you can almost feel somebody going, oh, gosh, is that it? And you go, yeah, that is it. That's the quote unquote secret, right? And people, I think, are always looking for that little hack, clever shortcut, right? And they just don't exist sometimes, do they? Do you know what? And it's funny because when I was listening to your question and coming up with the answer, I'm thinking, God, that is really basic answers, Jamie. What do you, but you can see so many examples of where it's wrong. And, and do you know what? Many organizations, investors want a hack, want it fast, want it to happen sooner. And you want to hack the process. Sometimes you can't hack the process. If you hack it, you'll get it wrong. You miss an important step. And once you've got the fundamentals right, then maybe you can find hacks or other points of added value in the process, you know, that make the difference. It's one of the biggest challenges we come up against at Durham Lane because we're outsource sales. People are engaging us because they want qualified opportunities and they want them fast. And then we're saying, well, you know, we need Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind, onboarding. It's at least four weeks. This is what we go through. It's proven. We take... Can we not do it quicker? <laughs> you know, and and actually the answer is no. We can't do it quicker because we do it once, we do it right, and then we go and we're successful. And if you don't invest in that, then typically it doesn't work. And, and you know, there's this real balance between you know uh, pace and quality, and there's always a balance. You know, you're not going to get outstanding pace and outstanding quality because you have to compromise somewhere. And to your point, Richard, you know, doing the hard yards at the start typically you'll get better payoff. Uh, at the back end and and sometimes when you look at these launches when you look at when do you get the return back over what period take more of a strategic view on it more of a plan view beyond a quarter typically you will find you'll get a balanced and better result but it comes back to the ability to make decisions on a strategic lens and, and that you know that that may be a conversation for, for later in the podcast but I, but I think that's also a, a key point yeah Richard I was guessing you would have a very firm opinion on this because of uh, you know the work that you do but you're you're Durham Lane aren't you 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 with with your entire approach you have some sort of core principles and practices that you, you know, that you adhere to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so we're coming to the end of our 12th year. We've we've learned what works. And it's really easy to be swayed by the clients asking it for it to be quicker. Therefore, it has to be quicker. And we want it to be as quick as possible, by the way. So we're always looking to, you know, my challenge to our team is always, well, how can we onboard more rapidly? How do we get to results more rapidly? And um, I mean, that should be our everlasting task, but we have to do it in the right way. Otherwise, it's false economy and you end up with short-term relationships, which isn't what we're looking for. Yeah, Jamie, I think that's the, you know, your, your pace quality consideration is absolutely critical. And you mentioned B2B and B2C. Now, you, you work across both. Key considerations and differences from a marketing effectiveness perspective? 
you know, it's interesting because at the moment, when I, when I look at the responsibility I have, you know, to your point, I've done B2B and B2C in the past, but actually, if I take the nature of the product we offer today, um, which is uh, engagement tools for people, you know, great products. And, um, you know, we have to do two jobs in, in marketing. We have to, number one, we have to pitch, sell and convince the HR community to buy. And then we have to support the HR community to get the employees to use. And, that, you know, that's a B2B marketing effort. And then, then it is a, a sort of a consumer, let's say, a marketing effort. So it's like a, a double principle. You know, when I look at that, when I look at the process that we that we go through as a team or what I've seen uh, to achieve that, actually, the process is quite similar. You know, you've got a buyer journey. You've got different touch points. At each touch point, you want to inspire an action. To inspire an action, you need to provide content creation. You need to, you know, provide a driver to make an action. Now, whether you're a B2B buyer buying the platform and software that's provided, or then whether you're an employee choosing to use that and to be inspired to use that, you know, the, the process, the journey is, is very, very similar. And I've always got this great belief that, you know, if I'm a buyer of a, of, a, of a product or I'm a user of a product, I'm still the same human being. You know, I don't, I don't change uh, in terms of my nature and my style. But to your point, Sam, there are differences. So I think there's a lot of similarities in process and marketing. There are some differences between the two. And if I use um, an example with yourself, Simon, you know, so, you know, you walk in, you walk into a supermarket and you may choose to impulse buy something in that supermarket. I won't make any judgment or assumptions here, but you buy 50% off cabbage, you know, that they're sitting in the vegetable aisle. You're not predetermined on the ingredients you need, but you find this wonderful cabbage and you buy it. It's 50% off. Fantastic. You made that purchase decision. Sprouts would have been a better... Well, sprouts, sorry, that's a great... Actually, Richard, that's a great one. Sprouts, as an example. You sprouts. They are they are the new talking point in case study, I tell you, sprouts. Um, but at the same time, Simon, you know, for, for you and what you do or businesses you engage with, recommendations you make, buying a CRM system that is a fully integrated product that allows you to manage your portfolio, you know, prospect, um, bring real great data and insights through AI on the performance. Your decision to buy that is very different. Now, ultimately, the end result is I need someone to make a transaction. He's either transacting for a 50% off cabbage or he's transacting for, you know, rather complex um, uh, enterprise system. So, so those two transaction decision points need to happen, need to influence in a way. And I think this is where you find the difference in, in B2B and B2C. What I, you know, what I certainly see or have seen is that in B2B, it's much longer cycles for um, uh, decision making, for, for discovery process. Ticket values are, are much higher. And, and typically as well in B2B, you know, you're not the only decision maker. You might be the final individual signing, but you need to influence your peer community. You know, you may need to influence finance, HR, commercial, the CEO, you know, all the, the types of decision makers to make a, a transaction. In the B2C uh, focus, you're making that decision on your own and you're buying on impulse. You're buying on immediate need or, or an unknown need that you're responding to by the way in which you're, you're marketing to. So typically, you know, the type of engagement, the impact, the regularity, the speed at which that, that needs to happen, the environment that it's in. Certainly, if it's, if it's a retail store or, or, or sort of from an online perspective. So there are differences between the two. But if I bring the differences down to theme them to three key themes that, that can be seen here. For me, number one, it's the product 
the product provides that level of differentiation between B2B and B2C. The second is the discovery and decision time that is needed in a, in a, in a B2B or B2C environment. And the third element is who is the decision maker? Who decides? You know, do you decide on your own to buy the sprouts or um, is there someone with you who said, that's a great deal, Simon. You should get those sprouts. Actually, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I'll get those sprouts. So so it, those three key elements, you know, the product uh, decision and um, discovery time and the uh, decision maker. I think those three elements pivot, I think, how you, you operate and you market in those two channels. And don't get me wrong, you know, the metrics that you're using to measure success in both are you know, are different. So, you know, so if I use um, my example in the, with the team right now, you know, when I sit down with our head of B2B marketing, I sit down with the head of B2C marketing. B2B marketing, I'm looking, you know, total leads, you know, what's unqualified, what's now marketing qualified, what's now sales qualified, what is now an opportunity, what is now a closed one, why did we win, why did we lose? You know, we're working through that specific marketing funnel. If I look at uh, B2C marketing, I'm talking about how many active users do we have? How many of them are engaging? How regularly? What's the average transaction value? How regular is that transaction value? You know, and it's and it's different types of metrics, but you're still driving a transaction. Yeah, so those kind of things under those three areas, you know, focus and consider what will be those crucial drivers. And you mentioned metrics. And in our pre-interview before we, we came on air, you, you mentioned that you got sort of a, I wrote down the phrase, you said, I have an issue <laughs> with marketers not being commercial. I'd be really interested as we've just touched on um, metrics, Jamie. Why is that sort of a, like, important? Why is that a bugbear, I guess? How, how much longer have we got on the recording? I can go on for hours. <laughs> no, and, and this isn't, you know, I don't want any listener to think, oh my goodness, you know, Jamie's about to lay into marketers. That's not the case. But I think I do have a big issue with, with marketers not being commercial and, and I think if there's if there's one thing that your listeners can take away from this podcast just one thing it's this please work on storytelling with impact because that comes back to the topic of marketeers being commercial and understanding how their actions make impacts to businesses now every marketeer that listens to this and every marketeer that will listen to this in the future without any question they make impacts but their ability to narrate the impacts, I think, is is absolutely key. Uh, you know, when so when it comes back to commerciality, I think marketers have that responsibility. When I look at CVs that I get for people wanting to join the team, I'm very fortunate. We're on a good recruitment drive at the moment. The word count is crazy on a CV. But there is a very much a, a lack of what they've done. That's good. I can see what they've done, but what's the impact? And uh, and I think for me, that is a more, a more important thing. When you look at marketeers now, to enable their roles, what do they need? They need investment. You know, they need investment in a new product. They need investment in primary research, secondary research. They need investment to pay for PPC. They need investment to improve their search engine marketing. They need investment in marketing systems. They need investment in digital tools to allow them to reach their, their target audience. All of that takes time and costs money. And in any organization, with any investor, any startup, you need to convince someone to provide you investment to get return. And so I think the more that marketeers understand that, bring that into their narrative, it will make a massive difference, not just to them and their perception of themselves as individuals in any environment, um, but also how they can help the business 
moving forward as well. I've probably compressed about five hours of an answer there. Jamie, I think it's it's an excellent point. And just to maybe try and bring it even more real for our listeners. So storytelling with impact, I would argue that's just a, a mantra that goes way beyond marketing. So I'll, I'll give you a, a real example. I saw a weekly report that one of our sales execs sent over to a customer last week. No comment, no commentary. So part of the challenge, I think, with systems and technology, which make our life easier and help us to report more accurately and provide more insight, you still need to tell the story behind it. And so my feedback was, look, you sort of missed a great opportunity here because there are some great results. There are some things that didn't happen. So draw out the great results and provide some rationale as to why the the things didn't happen. And then you're sort of, you're sharing the story and bring it to life rather than then just letting the customer do all the work themselves. You know, so I love that. That's a brilliant mantra. Absolutely. And, and, and if we skip forward five, 10 years, you know, AI is going to help um, human beings to bring real rich information to the front. But you still need that human to human element 100%. You know, that you'll never lose. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's a skill in that. That I think, as you say, Richard, fully agrees, transversal, of, you know, anyone yeah. needs to be able to storytell of impact. And I guess linking to that, you mentioned previously, and in, in, again, in the, in the sort of our pre-interview, you felt it was important that marketing as a function was, you know, a strategic leader in a business. And, you know, linking, I guess, to that, that sort of like storytelling with impact yeah, give us a give us a little bit of insight into what that means. Yeah, I, a lot of this comes back to the business that that you're in and the business you're working for. Because I do I do genuinely believe that an organisation, you know, whether it be small, medium, large enterprise, has a decision to make about the functions it has and the you know the responsibility those certain functions have. You know, the accountability on a day to day basis. I mean, marketing is a is a wonderful opportunity whereby. You have a, a department or a group that can be tasked with taking a step back and reflecting on your environment, you know, for reflecting on all the elements that contribute to your operation as a company, you know, uh, your customers, your product, the market trends, what your competitors are doing, you know, what the tomorrow says about how things are going to happen, the macro, the micro factors, all of these elements that influence how you navigate a business moving forward. You know, the types of pricing, the types of operating models you want to use. I think marketing is well positioned to support that for a business, to support that reflection, to support that storytelling of what the data is telling us and to support strongly with recommendations. You know, not as an individual department, but working with business empathy with other departments around a business, around an organisation. And if I take a couple of live examples, because I think that's really important as well during a period of uncertainty, which I think is every day, to be honest, at the moment now, uh, you know, moving forward. And if I take our example uh, at Selexo Engage, you know, during the, the pandemic, the pandemic, we had um, a situation whereby we were asking ourselves, you know, a couple of our product lines were, were kind of seizing up because of the nature of the situation and, and what do we do? And, and we approached it with, uh, with, with a strong leadership in the marketing team. We identified an opportunity with central government. And from that approach, from the way in which we managed that, we secured the business case with a global business we deployed in the UK. You know, we rolled out a digital voucher scheme that supported the rollout of free school meals during the pandemic to support parents and children that couldn't afford, couldn't get to schools, and they could use those digital vouchers to redeem for, for supermarket food, essentially, and, and to offset that. 
But secondly, was to support the Office of National Statistics in rolling out COVID testing programme for households throughout the UK um, in order to assess the behaviour of the virus and to respond accordingly. Now, those are two particular schemes that we were able to turn around and support proactively. Why? Because we took, as a, as a, a marketing function, a strategic view on it could have sat there and panicked and said, what's our next tactical campaign for the next two months to do something? No, we didn't. We took our time. We used the skills that we had and we, we took those moments to reflect. So I, I do believe that, you know, marketing has a really important part to play in that. I do believe that the business leaders and decision makers need to allow a marketing team to do that in collaboration with all functions. It's not a single leadership, you know, function. It's with all the elements. I talk about business empathy a lot. It's really important to me. But I think that, you know, there's skills there that, that can be used for a business's benefit. It's a damning statement, but I say it shouldn't be the cupcake department. It shouldn't be the balloon department. Actually, with the right skills, I think marketing can really lead and support organizations to, to improve and to and to navigate. So from a, an overall organizational perspective, marketing's role, just, just to come down to a topic that is, is a bit of a hot one for people who listen to the insiders, regards to the, the integration of marketing and sales, in your experience, what makes that work? Um, <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, yes, yeah, so, 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 uh, I, I don't know if that answer, will we ever get an answer for that? I don't know. But no, in my experience, first and foremost, relationships, human relationships, a core element of it. Um, you know, I am uh, blessed, actually, that um, that uh, the, the commercial, uh, chief commercial officer in our business, I have a brilliant relationship with him. Absolutely brilliant. We, 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 we challenge each other. We respect each other. We support each other. I know he will always have my back. I will always have his back. And, and we will always work together to achieve the common goal for our business. So I think, you know, the relationship is super important and that's built through time. Relationships are built through winning together and losing together and having good days and bad days together. But being together, I think that relationship's important. The second, and I, I briefly mentioned there, was around having a common goal. Um, we, you know, in our organisation, we use OKRs, um, Objectives, Key Results. And OKRs is essentially a pyramid where you have a common goal at the top and then you work out your key results from your, your common objective, I should say. We share the same results. We share the same objectives. So driving revenue, you know, retention in our customer base, cross-sell, upsell. It's my target. It's it's the team's target. It's our commercial team's target. It's one target. So I think that, that commonality of goal, having it communicated well, you know, rewarding and recognizing against success is, is key as part of that. So relationships one, common goal number two. Um, I think that the, the teams of sales and marketing, they need to systemize their processes together. It's not, this is the marketing funnel. Let's go and build it over here. Some clever marketeers. There we go. Job done. Here's a sales funnel. Build over some clever commercial, uh, individuals. Here we go. And then we connect it together. No, you build the whole systemized process together. You respect each other's views on it, but you build it together. And I think once you have that systemized process in place, you test it, you learn it, you iterate it, but you're always doing it as a, as a collective. So I think that's, that's also really important. And then the, the final point for me, and not much of a bugbear is the commerciality of marketeers, but the final point is that I do find sometimes when I look at marketeers, or commercial individuals, there is this real lack of open-mindedness and reception to feedback from each other. So, you know, I'll have a marketer that's like, oh, 
you know, they can't tell me how to write a social media post. Why not? You know, they write social media posts all the time as individuals and personals. You know, there's some brilliant storytelling in that. You haven't taken a, a qualification in writing social media posts. Like, so, so listen and be open to the feedback. Similarly, on the commercial side, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not listening to a marketeer that doesn't have the pressure of the number every day. Like, why would I listen to them? Do you know what? Because they might have a really strong view on that or they might have a really good view on it or, or just a different perceptive. So I think that ability to step out of your function, look at yourselves as, as human beings with great skills, great experiences, and then apply that to a problem. And typically you'll find that actually you'll get a better result when you come out at the end of it. So so reflect back on it as four there. You know, got relationships, number one, super important. Having a common goal that you're all working towards. Build your process together. Uh, respect the different elements that you all bring, but build it together. And finally, just be open-minded and receptive to feedback and sharing the skills um, as a collective. And I think if you work that hard, if the leadership leads in that way, then very soon you'll have a really strong um, engine that you're both responsible for. We often, um, well, we ask this question, of, of we've asked it of a variety of guests. They will they will often, the common theme, I think, Richard, that we've had a lot is, it is the relationship between the senior leaders that is so absolutely important at the top of the various functions that creates that behaviour further down and makes it happen. That certainly is a like a recurring thing. I think we've we've seen we've seen a number of times. So, Richard, uh, your thoughts, reflections on the episode? Yeah, thank you, Simon. So, twenty eight bags of sprouts. That's um. So, so the uh, we uh, Jamie, we recently recorded a an episode on storytelling with. Them. Uh, Philip Hum and, and he talked exactly exactly what you did to kick off the episode so uh, you can go back and have a listen to that to understand exactly what I mean but really loved the conversation I think you've been an absolutely terrific guest so thank you from us know your marketplace know your products know your channels love the idea of secondments we do that a lot at Durham Lane so giving people experience of other areas it's great for them it's great for the business so and I think people underuse that which I think you you said as well we talked a little bit about b2b and b2c product discovery and decision time and, and the decision making um, I'm trying to book a family holiday at the moment and I can tell you there are more decision makers than I thought there were in that b2c environment um, <laughs> The need to think commercially. We talked about storytelling with impact. I think that's a lovely mantra that goes way beyond marketing, but really for everybody in business, even if you're, well, especially if you're starting out in business, think about how do I storytell with impact? You said another phrase, awareness, confidence, and curiosity. Loved that as well, which then touched about marketeers as leaders. And I believe that the role of marketing is becoming more and more important and it is a leadership role and it needs to be taken more seriously. I think it is, but it's it's got ways to go. And then the final piece, which is a hot topic for us here at The Insiders around sales and marketing alignment, um, relationships, objectives with a common goal, uh, systems processes together. We call that RevOps here at Durham Lane. Jamie, one, one area that you didn't mention, which I would add, is customer success. So sales, new business, customer success and marketing, those three all working together, you create amazing things. And absolutely, what a great way to finish about being open-minded and learning from each other because uh, our work is never done and someone's always got a good idea in them, I would suggest. So yeah, fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, I think you you recapped as a classic marketeer does. You recapped as we went through. So now I've recapped the recap of the recap. So uh, apologies to anyone that's already feeling a bit recapped out. <laughs>
no excuses to any of the listeners for not following any of the main <laughs> themes. You know, just talking about secondments and awareness. I think one of the best things that happened to me as a sales professional was being asked to do a six-month secondment in marketing because they needed somebody to get the promotional calendar, etc., up for distributors. Boy, did I learn a whole lot. And I, I found out that salespeople aren't actually all experts in marketing. There is an awful lot to learn. <laughs> uh, and it was it was a very, very, so definitely would support that comment about, about Sukhoman. Uh, Jamie, we do, do have one final question for you, which is often the most challenging one for people. <laughs> so we're, we're building the Insider Spotify playlist. It is a very, very eclectic and diverse collection of songs and music. And we ask every guest to choose Choose a song or track which will add to the playlist. Uh, so, Jamie, what what is your chosen song to add? You might need the radio edit version of this, and it's not full of blasphemies. Don't worry, it's not some you know uh, hard rock. I'm sure you've got those on the, on the playlist as well. But this one is is an important song to me. Why? It's, it's a favourite song of my my dad that 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 uh, sadly passed away a, a couple of years ago. Um, it's it's kind of reflective of me. Um, because it, I always, I'm quite a positive individual, quite optimistic. And I'm kind of, you know, I can be formal and professional as I call it when I want to, but at the same time, I can be quite lighthearted, joking, informal. So, so my, my song is, uh, always look on the bright side of life by Monty Python. <laughs> Radio edit version may be, uh, more suitable for the playlist. Um, but, uh, but no, I think for me, it's, uh, it's a wonderful song. And I think whether you've had a good day or a bad day, it's a great one to listen to. It'll make you smile and, uh, and reset the mind maybe a little Awesome. Bit. Well, Very good. Yeah, no, that I absolutely love that. So uh, I'm a little bit biased there, Jamie, but yeah, that's a wonderful addition to the to the playlist. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Brian, and so's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? You can have the, the next podcast. It's just quotes from Monty Python films. No, but thanks ever so much. It's, it's been wonderful to have you with us. Yeah, we definitely haven't had enough Monty Python quotes, probably on the insider. So uh, area area for improvement. Uh, so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much for to Jamie for joining us on this episode of The Insiders by Durham Lane. Thank you to my co-host Richard and of course thank you for listening into this episode folks. Please subscribe to The Insiders podcast on your preferred podcasting site and you'll be notified of new episodes uh, when they're released which they are on a regular basis and visit durhamlane.com to learn more about selling at a higher level. In the meantime we'd just like to wish you good luck and good sales and marketing folks. The Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.